Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Dan Hayes, owner, operator, founder, um, garbage man for Binder Boneyard. Thanks for tuning in. Um, still getting my legs as far as these podcasts go, so appreciate all of the feedback that I'm getting um, through the Facebook pages and whatnot. Um, you guys are great. I'm going to try to keep keep notes of what everybody's looking for and keep going the best I can. Um, this is, like I said, it's a new experience for me. Um, you know, I'm broadcasting from the office desk in the <laughs> NOS parts cavern. Um, you know, the office, bathroom, break room, dog kennel, all pretty much the same. Um, so yeah, you'll hear Rody and everybody else banging and clanging around, I'm sure. Um, I think the train went by in the last podcast, so, you know, just stuff happens, um, because <laughs> doing these things when I'm in between projects, uh, I actually just finished fabricating a swing out tire carrier and bumper for a Scout 2, um, just cleaned it up, set it out, it's headed off for sandblast and powder coat now, so I figured it was a good time to take a break and, uh, bang out half hour of uh, international centric broadcasting so anyway um you know yesterday or whatever day they all run together talked about uh how i got my first scout and how i got into internationals and uh, it's one of the second most asked questions i get is how did i start this business. How did the binder boneyard become a thing? Uh, why did I do it? And how did I have the confidence to do it? And it's funny because I didn't have either or any. Um, so a lot of people don't know that the binder boneyard is actually my third attempt at starting a business. Um, my first business was called Track Tractor Off-Road, and that's when I lived over in the valley. Uh, worked out of Newburgh, borrowed a friend's shop. Um, I was a stupid 20-something-year-old kid who was just getting his feet wet fabricating and building trucks and, you know, decided I was going to be the next Jesse James or Geyser Brothers or somebody. I don't know who I thought I was going to be, but... Uh, Started working out of a buddy's shop and doing scout projects. The The International Scouts and Trucks of Oregon Club was running wide open. I was a founding member, um, and the club was very busy, and I got a lot of work through the club, um, fabrication and repair work. And so, um, you know, it just made sense to make it a business. But um, I didn't go to school for business. I didn't go to school for much. Actually, this is kind of ironic now. I went to school for journalism. And not broadcast journalism, but print journalism. So here I am doing this. It's kind of funny. But uh, anyways, um, I didn't go to school for business. So I didn't understand. And I wasn't smart enough. I was, I don't know. 
the relationship between income, uh, gross and net profit, and overhead. And what killed that business was too much overhead, because I was a dumb kid who had gotten credit cards and a new pickup and all this stuff, because I was working full-time at a good job, uh, but I hated it. I've always hated working for the man. Uh, my dad, I grew up on a farm, and my dad, it was kind of a hobby farm, but uh, still my dad worked for himself a lot of years uh, falling timber. Uh, he was kind of a jippo logger, and he set his own schedule, worked when he wanted, you know, whatever. There was always income from the farm, and so that's kind of how I grew up, and that's what I kind of that's the model I appreciate in my head. So working a, a nine to five for the man and getting yelled at every day and all of that bullshit was was wearing on me. So I decided to start Track Tractor Off-Road. And it was fun, did some stuff. I still see some of my products floating around out there in space. I see scouts pop up on Craigslist occasionally with a roll cage that I built, you know, 15 years ago, whatever. Um, but it didn't last. I couldn't support myself, couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't pay my buddy for the shop space. It just it just turned into a mess. Um, and so I kind of let that let that go. So now, fast forward a little bit. The great depression crash of oh, I don't know seven, eight. I, I can't even remember now. Um, I lost my house, I had broken up with my girlfriend at the time, I had, you know, pretty much nothing, um, I had nowhere to stay, nowhere to go, I had filed for bankruptcy, um, and I had, you know, returned, I had surrendered a lot of things. I did a chapter 13, so uh, I got to keep some things, um, which looking back now, I probably should have just done the 11 and lit it all on fire, but um, anyways, I was homeless for a while. Um, I ended up, I was living in a 1975 100 travel all, so that's a half ton, two-wheel drive. Uh, I got it from this old lady in the Dalles, and she called it Blondie, um, and uh, I was, I loved that truck, but I ended up living in it for a couple of weeks um, in the Safeway parking lot in Malala, that was my town that I lived in, kind of grew up there, Malala, Oregon, and uh, yeah, so I was in a pretty, pretty <laughs> terrible place. And, uh, yeah, um, so I started off at zero again. Um, I had some job opportunities that fell through, just couldn't seem to get my feet. I'm a trained welder, fabricator. I've worked in several big shops, um, all over the, you know, the valley, we call it, the Portland metro area, and, um, just couldn't get work. Every shop was scared. You know, the last job I had, um, you know, we had 52 welders on the floor and I was in the last group of, there was like 12 of us left when I finally got laid off 
um, and that's what forced the bankruptcy and the homelessness and all of that. Um, so, you know, I, um, I had some jobs fall through, couldn't get under me. Luckily, my folks, uh, who were living in Louisiana at the time, had some rental houses in Central Oregon, and my mom said that I should go live in one of their houses. Now, mind you, they didn't know that I was homeless. My mom didn't know I was living in my travel all. Um, so I um, took their opportunity and their offer um, to crash at one of their rentals until I could find a job. Um, I was able to get on unemployment, which back then, if you try to get on unemployment, they treated you awful. Like they're, the system is so different now. Like they just give unemployment to everybody. But back then they were still like, you know, if you were on unemployment, there was something wrong with you. Um, so it was very difficult to get it, at least in Oregon. I don't know how it is in other states. I moved to central Oregon with pretty much what I could fit in my car. And um, I got a job finally in the hardware section at a farm store called Big R at the time. There's a few of them around the West Coast. Uh, Big R. And I worked in the hardware section and making, you know, like 50 cents more than minimum wage. Um, but it was enough to make my Chapter 13 payments and afford food. And uh, I worked there for a few months. I got the opportunity to work for a buddy doing foreclosed house cleanups because now the crash was in full effect and everybody was bailing out of their houses left and right. Houses were everywhere empty, especially Central Oregon because it was just a mess here. So my buddy started a foreclosed house cleanup business and uh, I jumped at the chance to do that. So... Um, I was cleaning up foreclosed houses. Now you're all wondering what the hell I'm talking about and why I'm going, where I'm going, and what I'm doing, but there's a reason. So I'm cleaning up foreclosed houses. I'm making good money. I'm working very hard, tons of overtime. And I start noticing through the grapevine that welding shops and fabrication shops are going out of business and they're selling equipment. And I took the opportunity to buy cheap equipment. I bought my SynchroWave 250 Miller TIG welder with water cooler, with bottles, with 50 feet of ground and cord and 20 foot uh, leads, you know, a lot of stuff for $1,000. Uh, if you go down to your welding supply store and you try to buy that same setup new now, it's about $8,000. So I was doing that. I was scouring the, the uh, internets for deals. Um, now, mind you, this time I'd moved into another rental house. Uh, it still belonged to my folks, but now I was actually making you know, monthly rent payments. Um, so I wasn't living. I never got to live anywhere for free, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. There was always something I had to do or pay. Um, so yeah, I got the opportunity to live somewhere, but it definitely wasn't a wasn't um, you know a cushy couch to just crash on while I licked my wounds. Um, so, anyways, uh, 
was buying equipment. And now in my rental house that I was living in, I had a small garage, which is bizarre because the garage was almost too small to park a car in. I'm not sure what they were planning on you parking in there. Maybe a motorcycle or a jet ski or something, but definitely not a car and definitely not a, a full-size pickup. Um, so I was filling it up with tooling. I was buying welders. I bought a plasma cutter, torch set, uh, you know, hand tools. And while we were doing cleanups, I was finding tools. Guys were bailing out of their houses and they were taking their rollaways and their toolboxes, but they forget that they had a half inch wrench hanging on a nail or, you know, three sockets were in a, under a rag. Um, so I was saving all of that stuff. So currently I have toolboxes in the shop full to the top with random sockets. And every time we lose a socket, need a socket, got to make a specialty tool, I open up that toolbox and I dig out one of these sockets. But anyway, so I'm cleaning up foreclosed houses. I'm buying tooling. And well, now about three years goes by. My garage is jam-packed. Uh, can't hardly do anything in it. And I've been getting back into internationals because when I was homeless, I had the travel all. And at the end of my homelessness, when I moved, I sold the travel all. So all I had was my scout, my little wheeler, my 63, uh, that I vowed I wouldn't do anything with. And then, uh, and then a, a Dodge pickup. And so, um, yeah, I started getting back into buying internationals. I bought a 71 pickup that was 800 bucks on Craigslist. Um, then I bought some other stuff and I started flipping them, started fixing them in my spare time and flipping them. Uh, then um, the market started turning around. The banks were getting smart and they weren't releasing these foreclosed houses as fast as they were before. So our work started slowing down. And I finally got to the point where um, I went back to work welding. I got a fabrication job here in, uh, in Redmond. Uh, and I was doing that, um, making good money. But, you know, it was a crappy 9 to 5. Or it was like 6 to 2.30 or something, which I hate mornings. Um, I know it's terrible to say when you're a business person you should love mornings but I hate mornings uh, I do my best work at like 10 o'clock at night but um, so I'm fabricating in my backyard now I'm filling it up with internationals and I poured a pad uh, out the back because the rental house being that it belonged to my folks I had special privileges so uh, I poured a pad off the back of the house uh, I put a garage door on the back of the garage, so now it's essentially a drive-through garage. Um, I put up, well, okay, hold on, I'm going to back up. So I put a garage door on the back of the house first. Then I bought a Costco tarp garage, you know, like a 8 by 20 And that was the start of Binder Boneyard. That was what I was working out of. That's where I was fabricating. I built my first set of scout bumpers under the Boneyard name uh, out of that tarp garage. Um, I ran that for a few months, then saved up, poured the pad, 
and had one of those tin shed things erected over the pad and um, then started working out of that. Uh, and in this whole time, I've been ramping up on social media. Uh, people are starting to discover me on Facebook, um, and we'll get into that later. And the phone started ringing. I started getting work. People were buying parts from me because I had several parts trucks too. Because at the time, the international market hadn't taken off like it had. So I was getting nice, nice trucks for 800 bucks. I was getting parts trucks for a hundred dollars. You know, the the price of scrap had dropped off. It was down to you know forty dollars a ton. Nobody was scrapping, so I um, was just dragging them home. I had a half acre backyard, so I was just stacking them in there. And my again, my folks didn't care. It was their place, and and they did care a little. I'm not gonna say they didn't care. They did care, but I kept it orderly, and I put up a fence or a gate, and you know you couldn't see anything from the road, and I just tried to keep the peace, um, especially with the neighbors too. And uh, but the phone started ringing more and more, so I asked my girlfriend at the time, "Hey, you know what do you think?" She said that she'd support it. You know, she wanted me to follow my dreams, and I think everybody says that they don't really mean it half the time. And uh, so I quit my job and went to work doing this. And it was scary. It's still scary, but it was extra scary at the time. And uh, within four months of quitting my job, I had to move the shop from the tin shed in the backyard to a legitimate shop uh, in another town down the road from me. Um, And... I moved into there and hired my first helper. I had a couple of kind of volunteer helpers, but my first real helper, a guy named Brian, um, he needed help and um, I needed a helper. So that's how we started. So over the course of about seven years, I went from homeless to starting my business out of my backyard so i mean i don't want to get super preachy or motivational speaker-ish but um anytime i see people talk about how they're held down and held back and whatever no you can do it i'm a prime example of what happens and yeah maybe it's maybe it's white privilege or whatever the hell people use as an excuse to not get off the couch but um you know i did have some fortunate breaks um but you know uh it was it was hard work and perseverance and and trying to do the right thing and i'm you know here i am uh, so that's how the boneyard started this you know this was my third time this is hopefully my last time and i can ride this to the grave but um we'll see but anyway so, so yes, so if it wasn't for the support and the um, interest through social media, I definitely wouldn't have the following that I have, uh, and the business definitely wouldn't be what it is today. Uh, we don't advertise. We don't do any anything other than going to shows, 
handing out business cards, uh, selling parts, and then, you know, through social media. And uh, again, if you want social media, Instagram, Binder Boneyard, uh, Facebook, it's the Binder Boneyard is a business page. We have the private Facebook group called the IH Truck and Scout Mafia um, that you can try to join uh, if you're worthy. Uh, <laughs> or I'll just let you join. I don't care. But, um, you know, we have those. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and now we have this medium as well, the podcast, which I hope um, goes somewhere. I, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from you guys, so I'm going to keep keep it going. But, um, you know, as far as the social media goes, there's a lot of great other avenues out there that I've that I've been able to utilize and, and you guys should check out if you're new to Scouts or even if you're not new and you just uh, want to look at stuff. There's the uh, Scout Owners of the World uh, Facebook page. It's a public page and you can join it. Um, anybody can join it, but you know, you'll get kicked off of there if you're a jerk. So, um, you know, the guy that runs that is... He's a pretty reasonable guy, and, uh, you know, he lets a lot of stuff slide. He's a good guy, but, uh, you know, it's the Internet, and if you're a jerk, you'll get you'll get thrown out. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good page to follow, Scout Owners of the World. Um, and as far as the Internet goes, you know, I when I got into this business, or when I got into internationals, there wasn't Facebook, and there weren't these forums. Or there, there were forums and not not social media pages. So places like the Binder Planet, uh, used to be called Binder Bulletin. Um, that's how far back I go. Um, you know, it turned into Binder Planet. There's a lot of good resources there for you new guys um, that are looking for specific answers because, you know, yeah, social media is a good place to get your answer, but a lot of us have heard your question 10,000 times already. Like, um, you know, no... You are not the first person to put a small block Chevy into a Scout. Um, I know you want to believe you are, but uh, it's been done a bajillion times before. So, uh, you know, if you have questions about it, you can hop on over to the planet and uh, all of your questions will be answered through a few clicks of the search button. Um, so, you know, give that a shot. I know we all love the instant gratification of, the, of social media, but... Um, it's uh, also can be quite the burden um, when you're asking the same six questions over and over and over again. So yeah, don't be afraid of the search bar uh, and don't be afraid of Google. Uh, Google holds a lot of answers as well. Um, the thing about the internet is make sure you get a couple of the same answers before you go with it because there's a lot of misinformation out there as well. So, um, you know, one of the misinformation things that you see a lot of... Um, is like I talked about yesterday with the oil um, transmission, the manual transmissions. Um, people ask all the time, what kind of oil do I put in my four speed or my three speed uh, or even your five speed if you're blessed to have a T34, 35 or T36 in your international pickup or travel all. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, 90 weight. Well, sort of. Modern gear oil has additives that are very hard on brass and other soft metals. Uh, and your synchronizer rings are made of those soft metals. So over time, these oils will actually erode 
and corrode those synchronizers. So you don't want to use any GL4 or GL5 rated oils. Um, they're just not good for it. So, um, you know, you can use a GL1 mineral oil uh, in a 90 weight, which is a good option because that's what they had back in the 70s. Um, or what a lot of guys like to use uh, in colder climates and, and just all around is straight 50 weight synthetic motor oil. Uh, it's only the transmission only holds two or three quarts, uh, so it's it's expensive, but it's not gonna kill you. Um, a new transmission is expensive, and that will kill you. So you know to spend the twenty five dollars for synthetic racing oil to put in your transmission is um, worth it, I believe. Uh, and the other thing is to service it regularly you know do a transmission oil change every couple of years um uh, if you don't drive it much uh i drive my stuff so much that we have to change transmission fluids like three times a year uh and then same for rear ends the the differentials you can get away with a with a modern like 75 90 gear oil um because there's no brass or soft metals in in the rear ends uh, or front ends uh that's just gears and iron in there so you're fine with that but that transmission uh you really got to run that um old style you know gl1 mineral oil or synthetic racing oil uh and the same for the transfer case uh the transfer case has less brass in it i'm not even sure if it has soft metal in it anymore i know early ones had like brass thrust um shims for setting the end play on the intermediate shaft things like that but um you know it doesn't hurt the 50 50 weight synthetic racing oil in the transfer case is is fine as well um should help with some shifting too because it's a lighter oil should help in cold weather for you guys all you know north of the equator um should all help with um you know shifting and just durability of the of the the life of the bearings and whatnot uh, and it might take a couple of changings to get all of the old dinosaur oil out so um you know if you do your first change i'd run it for five or ten thousand miles and then change it again to the synthetic and then you should be good for you know 25 to fifty thousand on that so there's my little tech tip for the day as far as oils go again. Um, you know, that's what we do here. We like the synthetics, um, not so much in the engines, at least not initially. After a while, you can run synthetic oil in the engine. But um, anyway, the gear train, gear trains all get synthetic uh, just because it, it works. So um, as far as the show schedule goes for the rest, um, I'm going to do one more of these for, uh, well, two more. I'll have the Monday release and the Wednesday release, although I'm leaving for nationals on Tuesday. Um, Tuesday the 21st, I will be on the road. So I will kind of pre-record Wednesday's show, uh, and then I will be doing live, or not live, I'm sorry. <laughs> I will be doing um, recordings from the road, probably just using my phone, so it's going to sound a lot worse probably um 
So hopefully you guys bear with me. But it'll be trip reports from the road, um, and that will the road report will come out on Saturday. Um, and I will be at Nationals in Troy, Ohio on Saturday. So you can listen to it and then come say hi to me uh, and tell me what you thought. Uh, and then it'll do road report coming back. Um, and then we'll be back on the desk, uh, you know, when I get back, hopefully I should be back by the 31st. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But while that's happening, thank God I will have Tom, AKA backbone. Uh, you can follow him on the socials. Uh, well, just, just Instagram really, but he's a binder backbone on Instagram. He doesn't post much there anymore. He's a pretty quiet guy, but, uh, he is there. So he will be at the shop running the, keeping the workflow going. So you guys that are have stuff going here, um, you know, there there will be somebody here working. So don't worry. Stuff will be happening. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, the plan for the show. Um, thank you for your support again. Um, please, it's on iTunes. You're on SoundCloud. Uh, we have a Patreon account. Please, if you feel the urge to donate, uh, please do so. It all goes towards the greater good. Um, keeping, you know, my production guy fed and keeping the shop going. Because, you know, every dollar helps. Every every little bit keeps more, you know, more tooling. I can buy more rigs to keep in the yard, keep the parts going, keep them out of the junkyards and out of the scrap yards and can save these trucks or if we can't save them the parts can go into other trucks that are savable so every dollar that comes in here gets put into you know something good so yeah again thank you um tell your friends like it share it rate it um visit patreon if you feel so inclined and um you know again i'm just grateful for you guys thank you for the listens thank you for the feedback and um Again, if you have questions that want answered on the show, go ahead and email us at um, binderboneyardpodcast at gmail, and, uh, or you can DM me through one of the socials if you follow me there. So anyways, uh, thank you again. Much obliged, much appreciated, and uh, talk to you guys in a couple days. 